Chapter Thirteenth of The Heart of Midlothian by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. I beseech you, these tears beseech you, and these chaste hands woo you that never yet were heaved but to things holy, things like yourself. You are a god above us be as a god then full of saving mercy the bloody brother encouraged as she was by the courteous manners of her noble countrymen it was not without a feeling of something like terror that jeanie felt herself in a place apparently so lonely with a man of such high rank that she should have been permitted to wait on the duke in his own house and have been there received to a private interview was in itself an uncommon and distinguished event in the annals of a life so simple as hers but to find herself his travelling companion in a journey and then suddenly to be left alone with him in so secluded a situation had something in it of awful mystery a romantic heroine might have suspected and dreaded the power of her own charms but jeanie was too wise to let such a silly thought intrude on her mind still however she had a most eager desire to know where she now was and to whom she was to be presented she remarked that the duke's dress though still such as indicated rank and fashion for it was not the custom of men of quality at that time to dress themselves like their own coachmen or grooms was nevertheless plainer than that in which she had seen him upon a former occasion and was divested in particular of all those badges of external decoration which intimated superior consequence in short he was attired as plainly as any gentleman of fashion could appear in the streets of london in a morning and this circumstance helped to shake an opinion which jeanie began to entertain that perhaps he intended she should plead her cause in the presence of royalty itself but surely said she to herself he would have puttin on his brass star and garter and he had thought of coming before the face of majesty and after all this is more like a gentleman's policy than a royal palace there was some sense in jeanie's reasoning yet she was not sufficiently mistress either of the circumstances of etiquette or the particular relations which existed betwixt the government and the duke of argyle to form an accurate judgment the duke as we have said was at this time in open opposition to the administration of sir robert walpole and was understood to be out of favour with the royal family to whom he had rendered such important services but it was a maxim of queen caroline to bear herself towards her political friends with such caution as if there was a possibility of their one day being her enemies and towards political opponents with the same degree of circumspection 
as if they might again become friendly to her measures since margaret of anjou no queen consort had exercised such weight in the political affairs of england and the personal address which she displayed on many occasions had no small share in reclaiming from their political heresy many of those determined tories who after the reign of the stuarts had been extinguished in the person of queen anne were disposed rather to transfer their allegiance to her brother the chevalier de st george than to acquiesce in the settlement of the crown on the hanover family her husband whose most shining quality was courage in the field of battle and who endured the office of king of england without ever being able to acquire english habits or any familiarity with english dispositions found the utmost assistance from the address of his partner and while he jealously affected to do everything according to his own will and pleasure was in secret prudent enough to take and follow the advice of his more adroit consort he entrusted to her the delicate office of determining the various degrees of favour necessary to attach the wavering or to confirm such as were already friendly or to regain those whose good will had been lost with all the winning address of an elegant and according to the times an accomplished woman queen caroline possessed the masculine soul of the other sex she was proud by nature and even her policy could not always temper her expressions of displeasure although few were more ready at repairing any false step of this kind when her prudence came up to the aid of her passions she loved the real possession of power rather than the show of it and whatever she did herself that was either wise or popular she always desired that the king should have the full credit as well as the advantage of the measure conscious that by adding to his respectability she was most likely to maintain her own and so desirous was she to comply with all his tastes that when threatened with the gout she had repeatedly had recourse to checking the fit by the use of the cold bath thereby endangering her life that she might be able to attend the king in his walks it was a very consistent part of queen caroline's character to keep up many private correspondences with those to whom in public she seemed unfavourable or who for various reasons stood ill with the court by this means she kept in her hands the thread of many a political intrigue and without pledging herself to anything could often prevent discontent from becoming hatred and opposition from exaggerating itself into rebellion if by any accident her correspondence with such persons chanced to be observed or discovered which she took all possible pains to prevent it was represented as a mere intercourse of society having no reference to politics an answer with which even the prime minister 
sir robert walpole was compelled to remain satisfied when he discovered that the queen had given a private audience to pulteney afterwards earl of bath his most formidable and most inveterate enemy in thus maintaining occasional intercourse with several persons who seemed most alienated from the crown it may readily be supposed that queen caroline had taken care not to break entirely with the duke of argyle his high birth his great talents the estimation in which he was held in his own country the great services which he had rendered the house of brunswick in seventeen fifteen placed him high in that rank of persons who were not to be rashly neglected he had almost by his single and unassisted talents stopped the eruption of the banded force of all the highland chiefs there was little doubt that with the slightest encouragement he could put them all in motion and renew the civil war and it was well known that the most flattering overtures had been transmitted to the duke from the court of st germains the character and temper of scotland was still little known and it was considered as a volcano which might indeed slumber for a series of years but was still liable at a moment the least expected to break out into a wasteful eruption it was therefore of the highest importance to retain some hold over so important a personage as the duke of argyle and caroline preserved the power of doing so by means of a lady with whom as wife of george the second she might have been supposed to be on less intimate terms it was not the least instance of the queen's address that she had contrived that one of her principal attendants lady suffolk should unite in her own person the two apparently inconsistent characters of her husband's mistress and her own very obsequious and complacent confidant by this dexterous management the queen secured her power against the danger which might have most threatened it the thwarting influence of an ambitious rival and if she submitted to the mortification of being obliged to connive at her husband's infidelity she was at least guarded against what she might think its most dangerous effects and was besides at liberty now and then to bestow a few civil insults upon her good howard whom however in general she treated with great decorum lady suffolk lay under strong obligations to the duke of argyle for reasons which may be collected from horace walpole's reminiscences of that reign and through her means the duke had some occasional correspondence with queen caroline much interrupted however since the part he had taken in the debate concerning the porteous mob an affair which the queen though somewhat unreasonably was disposed to resent rather as an intended and premeditated insolence to her own person and authority than as a sudden ebullition of popular vengeance still however the communication remained open betwixt them though it had been of late disused on both sides these remarks will be found necessary 
to understand the scene which is about to be presented to the reader from the narrow alley which they had traversed the duke turned into one of the same character but broader and still longer here for the first time since they had entered these gardens genie saw persons approaching them they were two ladies one of whom walked a little behind the other yet not so much as to prevent her from hearing and replying to whatever observation was addressed to her by the lady who walked foremost and that without her having the trouble to turn her person as they advanced very slowly genie had time to study their features and appearance the duke also slackened his pace as if to give her time to collect herself and repeatedly desired her not to be afraid the lady who seemed the principal person had remarkably good features though somewhat injured by the smallpox that venomous scourge which each village esculapius thanks to jenner can now tame as easily as their tutelary deity subdued the python the lady's eyes were brilliant her teeth good and her countenance formed to express at will either majesty or courtesy her form though rather embonpoint was nevertheless graceful and the elasticity and firmness of her step gave no room to suspect what was actually the case that she suffered occasionally from a disorder the most unfavourable to pedestrian exercise her dress was rather rich than gay and her manner commanding and noble her companion was of lower stature with light brown hair and expressive blue eyes her features without being absolutely regular were perhaps more pleasing than if they had been critically handsome a melancholy or at least a pensive expression for which her lot gave too much cause predominated when she was silent but gave way to a pleasing and good-humoured smile when she spoke to any one when they were within twelve or fifteen yards of these ladies the duke made a sign that genie should stand still and stepping forward himself with the grace which was natural to him made a profound obeisance which was formally yet in a dignified manner returned by the personage whom he approached i hope she said with an affable and condescending smile that i see so great a stranger at court as the duke of argyle has been of late in as good health as his friends there and elsewhere would wish him to enjoy the duke replied that he had been perfectly well and added that the necessity of attending to the public business before the house as well as the time occupied by a late journey to scotland had rendered him less assiduous in paying his duty at the levee and drawing-room than he could have desired when your grace can find time for a duty so frivolous replied the queen you are aware of your title to be well received i hope my readiness to comply with the wish which you expressed yesterday to lady suffolk is a sufficient proof 
that one of the royal family at least has not forgotten ancient and important services in resenting something which resembles recent neglect this was said apparently with great good humour and in a tone which expressed a desire of conciliation the duke replied that he would account himself the most unfortunate of men if he could be supposed capable of neglecting his duty in modes and circumstances when it was expected and would have been agreeable he was deeply gratified by the honour which her majesty was now doing to him personally and he trusted she would soon perceive that it was in a matter essential to his majesty's interest that he had the boldness to give her this trouble you cannot oblige me more my lord duke replied the queen than by giving me the advantage of your lights and experience on any point of the king's service your grace is aware that i can only be the medium through which the matter is subjected to his majesty's superior wisdom but if it is a suit which respects your grace personally it shall lose no support by being preferred through me it is no suit of mine madam replied the duke nor have i any to prefer for myself personally although i feel in full force my obligation to your majesty it is a business which concerns his majesty as a lover of justice and of mercy and which i am convinced may be highly useful in conciliating the unfortunate irritation which at present subsists among his majesty's good subjects in scotland there were two parts of this speech disagreeable to caroline in the first place it removed the flattering notion she had adopted that argyle designed to use her personal intercession in making his peace with the administration and recovering the employments of which he had been deprived and next she was displeased that he should talk of the discontents in scotland as irritants to be conciliated rather than suppressed under the influence of these feelings she answered hastily that his majesty has good subjects in england my lord duke he is bound to thank god and the laws that he has subjects in scotland i think he may thank god and his sword the duke though a courtier coloured slightly and the queen instantly sensible of her error added without displaying the least change of countenance and as if the words had been an original branch of the sentence and the swords of those real scotchmen who are friends to the house of brunswick particularly that of his grace of argyle my sword madam replied the duke like that of my father's has been always at the command of my lawful king and of my native country i trust it is impossible to separate their real interests and rights but the present is a matter of more private concern and respects the person of an obscure individual what is the affair my lord said the queen let us find out what we are talking about lest we should misconstrue and misunderstand each other the matter madam answered the duke of argyle regards the fate 
of an unfortunate young woman in scotland now lying under sentence of death for a crime of which i think it highly probable that she is innocent and my humble petition to your majesty is to obtain your powerful intercession with the king for a pardon it was now the queen's turn to colour and she did so over cheek and brow neck and bosom she paused a moment as if unwilling to trust her voice with the first expression of her displeasure and on assuming the air of dignity and an austere regard of control she at length replied my lord duke i will not ask your motives for addressing to me a request which circumstances have rendered such an extraordinary one your road to the king's closet as a peer and a privy councillor entitled to request an audience was open without giving me the pain of this discussion i at least have had enough of scotch pardons the duke was prepared for this burst of indignation and he was not shaken by it he did not attempt a reply while the queen was in the first heat of displeasure but remained in the same firm yet respectful posture which he had assumed during the interview the queen trained from her situation to self-command instantly perceived the advantage she might give against herself by yielding to passion and added in the same condescending and affable tone in which she had opened the interview you must allow me some of the privileges of the sex my lord and do not judge uncharitably of me though i am a little moved at the recollection of the gross insult and outrage done in your capital city to the royal authority at the very time when it was vested in my unworthy person your grace cannot be surprised that i should both have felt it at the time and recollected it now it is certainly a matter not speedily to be forgotten answered the duke my own poor thoughts of it have been long before your majesty and i must have expressed myself very ill if i did not convey my detestation of the murder which was committed under such extraordinary circumstances i might indeed be so unfortunate as to differ with his majesty's advisers on the degree in which it was either just or politic to punish the innocent instead of the guilty but i trust your majesty will permit me to be silent on a topic in which my sentiments have not the good fortune to coincide with those of more able men we will not prosecute a topic on which we may probably differ said the queen one word however i may say in private you know our good lady suffolk is a little deaf the duke of argyle when disposed to renew his acquaintance with his master and mistress will hardly find many topics on which we should disagree let me hope said the duke bowing profoundly to so flattering an intimation that i shall not be so unfortunate as to have found one on the present occasion i must first impose on your grace the duty of confession 
said the queen before i grant you absolution what is your particular interest in this young woman she does not seem and she scanned jeanie as she said this with the eye of a connoisseur much qualified to alarm my friend the duchess's jealousy i think your majesty replied the duke smiling in his turn will allow my taste may be a pledge for me on that score then though she has not much the air d'une grande dame i suppose she is some thirtieth cousin in the terrible chapter of scottish genealogy no madam said the duke but i wish some of my nearer relations had half her worth honesty and affection her name must be campbell at least said queen caroline no madam her name is not quite so distinguished if i may be permitted to say so answered the duke ah but she comes from inverary or argyleshire said the sovereign she has never been farther north in her life than edinburgh madam then my conjectures are all ended said the queen and your grace must yourself take the trouble to explain the affair of your protege with that precision and easy brevity which is only acquired by habitually conversing in the higher ranks of society and which is the diametrical opposite of that protracted style of disquisition which squires call potter and which men call prose the duke explained the singular law under which effie deans had received sentence of death and detailed the affectionate exertions which jeanie had made in behalf of a sister for whose sake she was willing to sacrifice all but truth and conscience queen caroline listened with attention she was rather fond it must be remembered of an argument and soon found matter in what the duke told her for raising difficulties to his request it appears to me my lord she replied that this is a severe law but still it is adopted upon good grounds i am bound to suppose as the law of the country and the girl has been convicted under it the very presumptions which the law construes into a positive proof of guilt exist in her case and all that your grace has said concerning the possibility of her innocence may be a very good argument for annulling the act of parliament but cannot while it stands good be admitted in favour of any individual convicted upon the statute the duke saw and avoided the snare for he was conscious that by replying to the argument he must have been inevitably led to a discussion in the course of which the queen was likely to be hardened in her own opinion until she became obliged out of mere respect to consistency to let the criminal suffer if your majesty he said would condescend to hear my poor countrywoman herself perhaps she may find an advocate in your own heart more able than i am to combat the doubts suggested by your understanding 
the queen seemed to acquiesce and the duke made a signal for jeanie to advance from the spot where she had hitherto remained watching countenances which were too long accustomed to suppress all apparent signs of emotion to convey to her any interesting intelligence her majesty could not help smiling at the awe-struck manner in which the quiet demure figure of the little scotchwoman advanced towards her and yet more at the first sound of her broad northern accent but jeanie had a voice low and sweetly toned an admirable thing in woman and besought her ladyship to have pity on a poor misguided young creature in tones so affecting that like the notes of some of her native songs provincial vulgarity was lost in pathos stand up young woman said the queen but in a kind tone and tell me what sort of a barbarous people your country folk are where child murder is become so common as to require the restraint of laws like yours if your ladyship pleases answered jeanie there are many places besides scotland where mothers are unkind to their own flesh and blood it must be observed that the disputes between george the second and frederick prince of wales were then at the highest and that the good-natured part of the public laid the blame on the queen she coloured highly and darted a glance of a most penetrating character first at jeanie and then at the duke both sustained it unmoved jeanie from total unconsciousness of the offence she had given and the duke from his habitual composure but in his heart he thought my unlucky protege has with this luckless answer shot dead by a kind of chance medley her only hope of success lady suffolk good-humouredly and skilfully interposed in this awkward crisis you should tell this lady she said to jeanie the particular causes which render this crime common in your country some think it's the kirk session that is it's the cuddy-stool if your ladyship pleases said jeanie looking down and courtesying the what said lady suffolk to whom the phrase was new and who besides was rather deaf that's the stool of repentance madam if it please your ladyship answered jeanie for light life and conversation and for breaking the seventh command here she raised her eyes to the duke saw his hand at his chin and totally unconscious of what she had said out of joint gave double effect to the innuendo by stopping short and looking embarrassed as for lady suffolk she retired like a covering party which having interposed betwixt their retreating friends and the enemy have suddenly drawn on themselves a fire unexpectedly severe the deuce take the lass thought the duke of argyle to himself there goes another shot and she has hit with both barrels right and left indeed the duke had himself his share of the confusion for having acted as master of ceremonies to this innocent offender 
he felt much in the circumstances of a country squire who having introduced his spaniel into a well-appointed drawing-room is doomed to witness the disorder and damage which arises to china and to dress gowns in consequence of its untimely frolics genie's last chance hit however obliterated the ill impression which had arisen from the first for her majesty had not so lost the feelings of a wife in those of a queen but that she could enjoy a jest at the expense of her good suffolk she turned towards the duke of argyle with a smile which marked that she enjoyed the triumph and observed the scotch are a rigidly moral people then again applying herself to jeanie she asked how she travelled up from scotland upon my foot mostly madam was the reply what all that immense way upon foot how far can you walk in a day five-and-twenty miles and a bittock and a what said the queen looking towards the duke of argyle and about five miles more replied the duke i thought i was a good walker said the queen but this shames me sadly may your ladyship never have so weary a heart that ye canna be sensible of the weariness of the limbs said jeanie that came better off thought the duke it's the first thing she has said to the purpose and i didna just altogether walk the whole way neither for i had whiles the cast of a cart and i had the cast of a horse from ferrybridge and divers other easements said jeanie cutting short her story for she observed the duke made the sign he had fixed upon with all these accommodations answered the queen you must have had a very fatiguing journey and i fear to little purpose since if the king were to pardon your sister in all probability it would do her little good for i suppose your people of edinburgh would hang her out of spite she will sink herself now outright thought the duke but he was wrong the shoals on which jeanie had touched in this delicate conversation lay underground and were unknown to her this rock was above water and she avoided it she was confident she said that both town and country would rejoice to see his majesty take compassion on a poor unfriended creature his majesty has not found it so in a late instance said the queen but i suppose my lord duke would advise him to be guided by the votes of the rabble themselves who should be hanged and who spared no madam said the duke but i would advise his majesty to be guided by his own feelings and those of his royal consort and then i am sure punishment will only attach itself to guilt and even then with cautious reluctance well my lord said her majesty all these fine speeches do not convince me of the propriety of so soon showing any mark of favour to your i suppose i must not say rebellious but at least your very disaffected and intractable metropolis why the whole nation is in a league to screen the savage and abominable murderers of that unhappy man 
otherwise how is it possible but that of so many perpetrators and engaged in so public an action for such a length of time one at least must have been recognized even this wench for aught i can tell may be a depository of the secret hark you young woman had you any friends engaged in the porteous mob no madam answered jeanie happy that the question was so framed that she could with a good conscience answer it in the negative but i suppose continued the queen if you were possessed of such a secret you would hold it a matter of conscience to keep it to yourself i would pray to be directed and guided what was the line of duty madam answered jeanie yes and take that which suited your own inclinations replied her majesty if it like you madam said jeanie i would have gone to the end of the earth to save the life of john porteous or any other unhappy man in his condition but i might lawfully doubt how far i am called upon to be the avenger of his blood though it may become the civil magistrate to do so he is dead and gone to his place and they that have slain him must answer for their own act but my sister my poor sister effie still lives though her days and hours are numbered she still lives and a word of the king's mouth might restore her to a broken-hearted old man that never in his daily and nightly exercise forgot to pray that his majesty might be blessed with a long and a prosperous reign and that his throne and the throne of his posterity might be established in righteousness oh madam if ever ye kenned what it was to sorrow for and with a sinning and a suffering creature whose mind is so tossed that she can be neither called fit to live or die have some compassion on our misery save an honest house from dishonour and an unhappy girl not eighteen years of age from an early and dreadful death alas it is not when we sleep soft and wake merrily ourselves that we think on other people's sufferings our hearts are waxed light within us then and we are fighting our own wrongs and fighting our own battles but when the hour of trouble comes to the mind or to the body and seldom may it visit your ladyship and when the hour of death comes that comes to high and low long and late may it be yours oh my lady then it is not what we have done for ourselves but what we have done for others that we think on most pleasantly and the thoughts that ye have intervened to spare the poor thing's life will be sweeter in that hour come when it may than if a word of your mouth could hang the whole porteous mob at the tail of a towel tear followed tear down jeanie's cheeks as her features glowing and quivering with emotion she pleaded her sister's cause with a pathos which was at once simple and solemn this is eloquence said her majesty to the duke of argyle young woman she continued addressing herself to jeanie i cannot grant a pardon to your sister 
but you shall not want my warm intercession with his majesty take this housewife case she continued putting a small embroidered needle-case into jeanie's hands do not open it now but at your leisure you will find something in it which will remind you that you have had an interview with queen caroline jeanie having her suspicions thus confirmed dropped on her knees and would have expanded herself in gratitude but the duke who was upon thorns lest she should say more or less than just enough touched his chin once more our business is i think ended for the present my lord duke said the queen and i trust to your satisfaction hereafter i hope to see your grace more frequently both at richmond and st james come lady suffolk we must wish his grace good morning they exchanged their parting reverences and the duke so soon as the ladies had turned their backs assisted jeanie to rise from the ground and conducted her back through the avenue which she trode with the feeling of one who walks in her sleep End of chapter thirteenth